The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Morning, everyone. My name is Mike. It's your first time at our church. We um, extend a welcome to you. Now, we're in um, the book of John. So have the book of John uh, open if you have your own Bible. Uh, I thought I'd start by asking you a, a bit of a marketing question, and that is, um, um, for you, like, what convinces you to buy something? And what type of like marketing strategy works for you? Um, when we, when I was younger, my family used to buy a few items of this thing called Danos Direct. Now, put up your hands. Anyone remember Danos Direct? Okay, shame on you. It's a, um, um, uh, it was this kind of company that used really kind of cheesy TV commercials to convince you to buy stuff. And one of the things that, for example, that we bought as a family was this thing called the Flowbee. And the Flowbee was a haircutting device that you, um, it had the mechanism on one side and it had a tube which you attached to your vacuum cleaner on the other side. So the theory was that you cut your hair and it sucked the hair out and no mess, no mess. So it promised a lot, but in reality, your hair kind of got stuck every third pass. So it was, a, it was a, not a great product. And I think since the Flowbee, I've just sort of distanced myself from kind of TV commercials. Um, or more common nowadays are reviews. So maybe you do your research on a particular product or service and you look up websites to see what kind of reviews they have. And the weird thing though about reviews is that why is it 
that when you go to a company's website and all the customer reviews are like four and a half to five stars, that's a bit strange. So it makes you go, I'm a little bit skeptical about that. For me, and I suspect this is true for many of us, um, what convinces me to buy something is someone personally recommending that product. And most of my things in our, in our family, we bought because someone said, I've tested this thing out. It's really good. You got to try it. And I try it. And it's generally true, except for a couple of things. Um, in fact, um, Susan Cho is really good at this. She's really good at selling you stuff that you didn't know you needed. So um, if you want to buy something that you don't think you need, talk to her at morning tea. You know, I kind of think this whole marketing stuff sort of relates to the Christian faith as well. People sort of um, develop their picture of Christianity and Jesus from all sorts of things. You know, um, perhaps they've had an experience at church. And maybe this is you. You've had a previous experience at church and it's not what you expected or hoped for. So you're just a little bit distanced from the whole church thing in Jesus. Or maybe you've kind of heard some of the reviews of Christianity in the media and it sort of painted your picture of who Jesus is and what church is all about. Um, as we come to this part of John's gospel, as we meet the very first followers of Jesus, I think they want to say, we've seen something and you've got to check this out yourself. You have to check this out. Come and see for yourself who Jesus really is and what it means to follow him. So that's what we're going to do today. And I'm going to ask for God's wisdom as we come to this passage. So let's pray. Our Father, we uh, recognize that we stand humbly before your word and you speak to us today. So we pray for distractions and whatever circumstances are in our life that may prevent us from hearing you clearly today. We also acknowledge that we've been informed by our experiences and um, people have told us things about Jesus. But today we pray that you would help us to see Jesus for who he really is and make a good decision to follow him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, so just to bring some of you up to speed, two weeks ago we started in John's Gospel, and it was this big, big picture of who Jesus is. It's not like he didn't kind of ramp up like this. Jesus is the Word. God himself, God the Son, created the whole world, and um, he's the Word in the flesh. And as we've travelled and to a point today, we're going to see what it looks like to connect this big Jesus all the way to kind of what it means to follow him as people just like you and I. And so uh, come with me then as we meet some very first followers of Jesus uh, in your Bibles. Um, have a copy open, John chapter 1 and verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Before we sort of meet any um, particular disciples, there's kind of like a handover session. So John the Baptist, he's kind of had some followers. And you'll notice there that there's, um, he has two disciples standing with him. 
And then this is the kind of the handover bit where they disciples kind of move away from John. They detach themselves from John and they attach themselves to Jesus. And so before we actually meet a particular disciple, there's going to be two very important details to teach us what it actually means to follow Jesus. So come with me. The first important detail is in verse 36. Thirty-six. You'll notice that what is it that triggers, that causes John's disciples to move away from John and move to Jesus? Well, it's John's words, isn't it? You'll see it there in verse thirty-six. He sees Jesus, and as soon as he says, "Behold, the Lamb of God," and he points out Jesus, that's the point where they shift away from John and they connect themselves to Jesus. Now, that's a really important point, so obvious that you might have missed it. Well, what does this teach us about what it means to genuinely follow Jesus? Well, it means you can't follow Jesus unless you've understood who he is. Christianity is not a mindless religion. It's actually a use of the mind, and you need to decide who Jesus is in order to follow him. Now, just to kind of make this point a bit clearly clearer, I'm going to get you to do an, an activity fairly early on. This is very easy. What I want you to do is I want you to scan your eyes down the whole passage we've read. And what, when you see a title or a name about Jesus, I just want you to shout it out and be brave. And we're going to make a bit of a list of titles that are given to Jesus. So um, go as soon as you see one, just shout it out. It's probably right. Rabbi, yep. Messiah, yep. Uh, yep. Down in verse 41, Messiah, which means Christ, is like the chosen king from the Old Testament. Lamb of God, yes. Son of God, verse 49. Son of Joseph. I forgot about that one. Yep. Sorry, I heard. I said, king of lamb. I think I got two things. Yep. Son of man. Yeah. Which verse are you looking at? 51. Yes. Well, oh, he's picking up all these ones I didn't see. Yep. King of Israel. Okay. Look, I'm going to stop you there. And just, you kind of saw almost immediately, um, we've, this is kind of dense list of titles in this crammed in this section. So like when I cook for my wife, everything's dense. This is like that. A lot of names and titles ascribed to Jesus. And I think what John is trying to say, what it means to actually follow Jesus in the very first instance is to understand who he is. But I want to suggest to you that of all those titles, it is intentional that John put behold the Lamb of God as the number one. Now, I think he does that because all the titles are important but fundamentally, if you want to follow Jesus, perhaps for the first time today, you need to know that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And he said it before, who takes away the sin of the world. So if you're here, even if you've been churched for many years and you haven't worked this out, today, the Bible, God wants to declare to you that you can be forgiven, you can be um, cleansed from rejecting him, that we all sit under the judgment of God. 
But today you can make that decision to follow Jesus and have your sins taken away. If you take nothing from this sermon, know that you can be forgiven and assured that your sins can be forgiven as you trust in the blood of Jesus. A genuine follower of Jesus makes the decision and understands who he is. Just on a side note, it's even interesting how many times we've asked people share your testimonies in different settings. And it is surprising how many times we hear those stories, but the blood of Jesus and their sin is interestingly absent from their testimony. I think John's saying you can't actually be a genuine follower of Jesus unless you know you're a sinner and that Jesus has taken away your sin. The second important detail in following Jesus comes um, in verse 38. Jesus turns to these disciples and he says, what are you seeking? Fair question. It's like, what do you want? Kind of thing. And they say to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And he spend, and they spend the rest of the day with Jesus. Now, to our modern ears, that part of the narrative is actually a little bit jarring because um, if, you, if someone, for example, came up to you after church and they said, like, I really enjoy church, and you say, oh, yeah, how can we help you? And, you are, and they ask you, like, where do you live? Like, that's a, uh, uh, I'm not telling you where I live. So it's a little bit creepy, right? But the point I think that John is trying to make is that following Jesus is not just, yes, I believe in a set of things about Jesus. It's actually believing in those things and then attaching yourself and actually following Jesus. So you notice that they spend the whole day with Jesus, sitting under his teaching, getting to know what he's like. And you and I, it's, we can't kind of hang out with Jesus in a physical sense, but we actually attach ourselves and follow him um, as we listen to his word, as we gather with Jesus's people. And John's trying to say, you can't just kind of ascribe to a set of beliefs. Following Jesus looks like um, living with Jesus and attaching yourself to him. Now, if you want to read ahead, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but John chapter 15 is kind of the chapter if you want to think about what it means to kind of attach yourself to Jesus. But just to give you some kind of ideas, um, following Jesus and sort of attaching yourself to him looks like things like continuing to confess your sin, which we're going to do after this, continuing to be reminded and be refreshed that the burden of sin is now lifted. It looks like actually living under his rule and living in obedience to him. So when he says things like, actually your words matter, let your yes be yes and your no be no. People at work, like I get that they're inconsistent with their words, but actually I'm going to stay with Jesus on that one and I'm going to use my words honestly. Or when he says, um, don't engage in sexual relationships outside of marriage. I know like the world thinks that's fine, 
But actually, I'm going to stick with Jesus on this one because he knows how things work. He's the word who created marriage and he created sex. So I'm going to stay with Jesus on that one and I'm going to stop engaging in that relationship. So following Jesus is understanding who he is and then living with Jesus. Okay. Pretty straightforward. Like it's not rocket surgery, right? Um, what we're going to do. So, so John sort of sets this picture up. This is what discipleship following genuine follow, following of Jesus looks like. And what he's going to do next, he's just going to introduce us. This is the exciting part to the very first people who would say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. So um, what I'm going to do is going to uh, glance down. And the first person we ever meet who says, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus is his name is Andrew. So come with me down to verse 40. Uh, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. You don't get heaps on Andrew, but I love Andrew. Now, I was going to ask Andrew Louie, I don't know if he's here today, what his name means, because it's a great meaning. I didn't know this until this week. Does anyone know what the name Andrew means? Shout it out. Yep. It means manly. The name Andrew means manly, which I wish I knew that before I named my son Lincoln, which means Lincoln's name means uh, a town next to a pool of water. So not quite the same meaning. Um, yeah, but Andrew's name means manly. And I think one of the manliest things that Andrew does in this story, he doesn't do a whole lot, but he recognizes who Jesus is and he brings people to Jesus. That's what Andrew is really good at doing. He just brings his brother to Jesus. And so as we kind of think about how following Jesus works out in our life, and one of the most natural things when you see something as Ash showed us, see something wonderful in the person of Jesus, one of the most natural things to do is actually just bring people to Jesus. So can I encourage all of us, particularly if you're a Christian person, is just to help people know and meet Jesus, bring people to Jesus. Now, just as an added encouragement, because that sounds like simple to say, but harder to do, Andrew pops up later in the Gospel of John. So as an extra encouragement, for example, one of the things that Andrew does is that there, do, some of you remember that situation where Jesus and his disciples have a crowd of 5,000 in front of them. Some of you remember this story. And Jesus suggests to his disciples, we need to feed these 5,000 people. And the disciples are a bit confused. Andrew pops up in this story. And what does he do? He gets a boy who has um, a bit of bread and a bit of fish, and he just brings the boy to Jesus. Now, you think about that. I don't think Andrew knew what was going to happen when he just pushed a boy in front of Jesus with kind of a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread for 5,000 people. I think Andrew just kind of went, I'm going to bring this kid to Jesus and I'm going to leave it with Jesus and see what happens. So friends, um, if you feel like I want to bring someone to read the Bible with me, but I don't have all, all their answers to their questions, 
or I don't have all the answers from the Bible, I think Andrew's example wants to say, um, it's okay. Just bring them along, come meet with them, come open the Bible with them, bring them to church. Because if they don't kind of meet Jesus in some shape or form, then they're not going to come and see how wonderful he is. So Andrew's a great example. And in fact, Philip does the same thing when he brings his friend. Um, what about Simon Peter, his brother? Simon Peter gets kind of like one verse, verse 42. So Andrew brings Simon, his brother. Jesus looks at him and says, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Um, the gospel traces Simon Peter's journey. And as most of you know, Simon ends up being a very kind of significant person in terms of the role of the church and the growth of the church. But here, do you notice that Simon Peter, he doesn't do anything. All he does is kind of stand there and Jesus kind of declares and renames Simon Peter. And so again, we usually think of following Jesus as kind of a set of things that I need to do to follow him. But as we follow Jesus, there's also the reality that Jesus re-identifies his people. And some people will, be, will play particular roles in ministry and church, but all of us actually, if you say yes to Jesus, will be re-identified, will be given new identities, and that is a great privilege, but also something to not be ashamed of. Simon Peter, you will be called Cephas. We've met Andrew, we've met Simon, and now I want to come to Philip and Nathaniel, and I kind of feel bad for Philip because I'm not going to talk about him much now, but the one thing I just want to mention about Philip is that um, him and Nathaniel have a very encouraging relationship. Now, they have an encouraging relationship because do you notice that Philip and Nathaniel had a bit of a Bible reading relationship going on, which we love to encourage here, St. Andrews. Because you'll notice there in verse 43, what does Jesus say? Well, the next day he, he goes to Galilee. He found Philip and he says, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Now, Philip finds Nathanael and says to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip and Nathaniel were reading the Old Testament. They had a strong Bible reading relationship. They've read all of the books of Moses. They've come to read the prophets and they've been building up this picture of who this Messiah was going to be. And they're very excited. And Philip said, you know, all that Bible reading that we did together, it's pointing towards this man. And he says, look, we found him. It is Jesus of Nazareth. He's right here, son of Joseph. Now, Nathaniel is a bit of a Debbie Downer, isn't he? Because the next thing Nathaniel does is he kills the mood a little bit because he says in verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, I've been thinking about his phrase, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I don't think it's the same as saying um, like, 
this is so like this is not fair right but growing up we used to say like if you come from the west that kind of thing um because we kind of develop a reputation in some ways i don't think um nathaniel's saying nazareth is just kind of you know australians they'll say what a hole like it's such like a nothing kind of place or it's got a bad reputation i don't think that's what nathaniel means I think what Nathaniel means rather is because remember, he's been reading the Old Testament. So he has read nothing about Nazareth. So if you actually look up your Old Testaments, there's actually no specific reference to Nazareth as a place. But Nathaniel has read passages like Micah chapter five, which speak about someone, a ruler coming from places like Bethlehem. So he's gone, oh, yeah, it's going to come from a royal place with royal sort of connections. But Jesus of Nazareth, why, like, I've never even heard of it. Why would something good, as good as the Messiah, come from a place we've never heard of? Okay. So Nathaniel's confused. Philip very wisely just says, look, come and see, because if you've got an opportunity to just, he's got, actually got Jesus there, so come and see. So he brings him to Jesus and this next part of the narrative, you'll need to switch on extra hard because Nathaniel's story is a little bit confusing. So come with me down to verse 47. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Okay. So I just made fun of Nazareth come to Jesus. What does this mean? So Jesus says, looks at him and says, an Israelite with whom there is no deceit. I'm going to give you like 30 seconds. Talk to the person next to you. Share your ideas and what you think Jesus is saying in that verse. All right, I'll cut it short there. Come, we'll bring it back. I won't take answers. I'm sure there are some really good suggestions and I've, I've been thinking about this verse. Um, so Jesus says, uh, sees Nathanael and says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now, it's interesting. I think there's two things going on here. It's interesting that the language that Jesus uses is actually a reference back to one of the original kind of main characters of the Old Testament, Jacob. So Jacob was one of the Old Testament figureheads, and he got renamed to Israel. But if you know anything about Jacob, you'll remember that one of Jacob's defining characteristics, that he was one of the most deceitful, cunning people you could meet. So I actually just read the story with my daughter recently where you're, many of you remember where Jacob tricked his dad to thinking that he was the older brother. So he dressed up in hairy clothes to make his blind dad give him the blessing. Like not even our kids' church kids would do something like that, right? So Jacob was a very deceitful man. And so the language that Jesus is using with Nathaniel, he says, this is great. You're just like um, Jacob, Israel, but without the deceit. But what I think he's actually kind of like doing functionally is he's actually showing that he knows something about Nathaniel's inner character, something very specific. Um, because, and the reason I say that is the main point is because in the very next verse, how does Nathaniel respond? He says this, how do you know me? How do you know me? So Jesus has identified something about Nathaniel's character, which is very specific. 
you are an you're an honest person. I know that part about who you are. You're not like your descendant Jacob in that sense. And Nathaniel's saying, how, how do, hang on a second, how do you know who I am? And what does he do in the very next verse? Well, come down. He says, um, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Okay, so Jesus says, I know something about your character inside. And I know something, a very specific example of where you were and what you were doing at a very particular point in time. I know something about your external circumstances. Only Nathaniel could have known that. Now, our growth group was like, what's with the fig tree? Like, when was this? And someone said, like, was he doing something dodgy under the fig tree? Anyway, um, but the point is we don't know. And that's the point, that there was something that Nathaniel was doing around a fig tree that only he could have known. Part of his character, only he knew. And yet Jesus was the one who says, I know both these things about you. And that's the point where Nathaniel goes, Rabbi, son of God, because Jesus knows him in only a way that God could possibly understand. And friends, um, isn't it wonderful that we serve a, a Lord, a King, Jesus himself, who actually knows us more intimately than anyone else could possibly know? To every minute and quirky character trait that you have, to every moment where you were the only person there, um, Jesus saw that. And I think that's both reassuring and kind of, if you're like me, kind of slightly terrifying, isn't it? Jesus, the son of God, knows and he sees everything. But I want to say that's not yet the main point, the main, main point, if you like, of this interaction. Because what does he say to finish? After this event, in verse 50, Jesus says to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So one of the most beautiful things that for Nathaniel is that Jesus knows me. And yet Jesus says, hang on, like that's not even the greatest thing that you will see. There's something that will be even greater to base your belief on me in. And then he gives this kind of strange vision. One time in the future, you will see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what's this very last verse about? Well, this is our Old Testament reading. I was actually going to see um, Nick or Susan, if you guys are still awake in the AV room, um, could you bring back uh, Genesis chapter 28 up on the screen? Because we're going to do a bit of a spot the difference. Remember those things? Uh, we're going to go Genesis 28. And uh, what I'm going to get you to do is, as I'm going to read through this again, as we've already heard the reading, I just want you to spot the key difference between Genesis 28, because John is referencing back to this Old Testament passage. And once you spot the difference, just keep it in your mind. So again, this is, uh, as Derek mentioned, Jacob is fleeing from his brother who he tricked into giving, getting the blessing. And Jacob leaves Bathsheba. He goes to a place called Haran. And he came to a certain place, stays there for the night. It's, a, it's, a, it's getting to the end of the day. Taking one of the stones, okay, and he dreamed. And he has a dream. This is a very famous dream in the Old Testament. 
he dreamed and behold there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold the angels of god were ascending and descending on it so we'll go to our next slide and behold the lord stood above it and said i am the lord the god of abraham your father the god of isaac the land on which you lie i will give to you and to your offspring your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I promised. And then Jacob awoke from his plate sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And finally, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. There's, a, there's quite like there was, there's a few details in there, but does anyone want to be brave? What was one of the differences you saw from Genesis 28 to our reading in John? Yes, spot on. I think that's one of the key differences. So as Ash said, if you didn't hear, in Genesis 28, Jacob's dream, there's a ladder. And you see his angels ascending, going up and down the ladder. But in John, the ascending and descending is not done on a ladder. It's on the son of man. Okay. Now, slightly different question. Were there any details in Genesis 28 that are not included in John chapter one? Anyone spot any bits that weren't included that you might think it's important. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. So Derek down the front said, actually in, in John one, the heavens are opened up and in Genesis 28, we just see it's just going up and down, going between. Yep. Okay. So I think you're starting to pick up. There's some key differences. And I think Ash's point's really important for us to, as we see um, what it means to follow Jesus and really believe in him. Um, Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, you know that dream that Jacob had, he saw uh, a connection between heaven and earth. And on top of the ladder was God himself in heaven. And at the bottom of the ladder was Jacob. And here in John chapter one, Jesus is saying, there'll be a point in the future where we will see heaven and earth connected to one another. But the angels of God will not be going up and down a ladder It'll actually happen through the son of man. So that is Nathaniel. A greater thing will happen where Jesus himself, where me, Jesus, he's saying that heaven will be opened up for people to come and experience God himself, to relate with him, to connect with him. And that kind of connection will happen through the son of man himself. So you see what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel? He's saying this is a greater thing is about to happen. People can now meet God and relate to him and have their sins wiped out for good through faith, through belief in him, the son of man. And friends, isn't it incredible in Nathaniel's story? I think those two things side by side are quite incredible things. But on the one hand, Jesus knows Nathaniel like no one else knows him. He knows the deepest thoughts of his heart, all his desires, even his lusts. 
He knows every moment and every time and every deed that he's committed. And yet, at the same time, he is still going to be willing to go to the cross to give his life up for someone like Nathaniel and for people like you and I. That Jesus would know us so well. He knows my thoughts. He knows your thoughts right now and what kind of thoughts you've had this week. And yet he's still willing to give his life up for you and I. Greater love has nothing than that, that someone would lay their life down for sinners like you and I. Friends, I mean, I felt like as we read today's passage and as we've kind of looked and explored, there's so, like there's so much in this passage today about what it means to genuinely follow Jesus. There's titles everywhere. There's kind of glimpses of what it looks like to follow Jesus for the rest of our days. And really the biggest encouragement that um, I want to encourage you with is come and kind of see who Jesus is as we travel out through the book of John. Come and witness for yourself. Don't believe the reviews. Don't just kind of look at the commercials from a distance, but come and see Jesus and who he is for yourself. The promise is that if you understand who he is and you commit to following him, then God's promise to you is that you will have life both now and forever with him. And that's why John writes this book for us to have. So come along with us, journey with us, meet with us in small groups, come meet and read the Bible um, with someone who brought you today and meet Jesus, come and see it for yourself. Why don't we pray together? Um, Father, we thank you uh, so much that this testimony of John and the disciples uh, is recorded for us in John's gospel, that we may come and see Jesus, to come and see the wonderful Lamb of God and person that he is. Father, I particularly ask for those of us who are maybe unsure of our faith or new to the faith, that you would convict our hearts to know that he can wipe away our sins now and forever. So help us to continue this journey together and keep bringing us back to your word to listen and to respond to him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.